Welcome to the She's Marked Podcast. I'm Hannah, and I'm honored to be your host along this journey to stronger faith, holiness, emotional restoration and healing, and deliverance for the millennial woman. Join me as we press toward unpacking the heavy luggage of our hearts in pursuit of a life that is distinct, set apart, and built on the practical foundation of God's truth. She is walking in power. She is walking in freedom. Without a doubt, all will know that she's marked. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy January. I certainly hope that you ladies have been doing well. Listen, can I tell you all the struggle that I have been having just to get this podcast done? Um, It is clearly the last day of the month, and here I am publishing an episode. This week, my entire household became sick, um, some confirmed cases of the flu. So there's been crabbiness and aches and sniffles and coughs and fevers and doctor's visits and emergency room visits and just life happening. So it was a little bit of a challenge to push through and get it done. But here we are. Nevertheless, she persisted. And uh, sometimes we have to just push through and do what we have to do. So we are back today with part two of the series, Laying Foundations. In episode 002, I introduced what I believe are the four vital foundations that must be laid as we move toward emotional deliverance. As I was gathering my thoughts on this series, I thought of the term fine print. A lot of mistakes and compounded frustration and pain experienced in our emotional lives is due to the fine print of our spiritual lives being overlooked, misunderstood, or not taken seriously. The details are always in the fine print. For those of you who have firsthand experience with loans or contracts of any kind, you recall the fine print. The daunting pages of tightly squeezed together words, ton of legal jargon, and the glaring signed by the X line at the very end, just waiting to lock you in officially. In a matter of seconds, your fresh ink on that line declares that you've read and understood the terms. Yet and still, years down the line, something pops up that takes us by surprise. Did we really agree to that? Did we really sign? And there lies your signature with your promise that you did. It was all in the fine print. Usually we don't read or dissect the fine print. We give a general glance. We skim the surface to the best of our ability, assuming that we know what is implied, and we move on. The fine print is what explains itty-bitty details of the contract or agreement. So in this case, what is the fine print? That fine print is the word of God. I personally have been shocked to understand some of the fine print on documents that I've signed. When I look back and realize that the answers were there all along, I feel a little speechless. Following my deliverance in 2018, the first thing that took me by surprise was the practicality of God's word. I all of a sudden understood what Jesus meant in Matthew 11:28 to 30, where he said, come to me 
all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And for us, those of us who are carrying a lot of emotional pain, those are heavy burdens. Those are things that make you weary and tired and exhausted. Um, So he says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reason why I struggled with obedience to God's word and in my walk was due to strongholds that needed to be broken and due to my own rebellion, rejection, and pride. Those things operated as a veil over my eyes and I didn't realize it. I also wasn't fully applying God's word, the fine print. I either didn't understand it, I didn't care to understand it, or I was approaching God's word with my own fine print in terms. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second, but I want to just give a, a perfect example of how this was operating in my life. So in Christmas of 2006, my husband, well, he was not my husband at the time, um, but my now husband gifted me with a Bible, a women's study Bible. Now, from 2006 to 2019, this is last year, the beginning of 2019, the Bible was in mint condition. I mean, excellent condition. In fact, I think if I were to have sold the Bible, I could list it as excellent or new. You know, like when you go on Amazon, you have to list the condition of your books. So this legitimately would have been like excellent condition. And after my deliverance and after coming into alignment um, in my walk, because there were a lot, there were a lot of pieces and, and parts of my walk that were not authentically aligned. And we're going to talk a little bit more about authentic alignment. But after coming into authentic alignment and really treating my faith and treating my relationship with the Lord God as a lifeline, which it is, once I realized the necessity of it, um, my Bible got destroyed in a year. Now, what do I mean by destroyed? Within just a few months of truly reading my Bible, my Bible started to come apart at the seams. Like, I wish I could show you all a picture. I might take a picture of my Bible and post it on my social media pages, but I just want you all to see, and it's it's not to boast in any way, but from 2006 to 2019, what is that, 13 years? Um, my Bible was in mint condition. And just within a few months, now it's been over a year of really digging into God's word and it being a part of my daily life. My Bible is destroyed. Like I have to get a new Bible. And at this point, I don't want to get a new Bible because I've made so many marks and lines on scriptures that have really spoken life into me over the past year. But the pages are coming apart. The binding has come off. I have tape across my Bible. Pages are crinkled. I think I probably have a few pages missing. Um, And the Bible looks much, much different. It looks very weathered and worn. So Again, um, I wasn't getting into God's word and I can see now where a lot of the burn uh, from the emotional pain that I was carrying was coming from because I didn't realize that a lot of those, all of those things, all of the things that I was facing were addressed in scripture. A lot of the things that I didn't understand about God and about myself and about the enemy, um, kind of the things that we're going to be covering in this series, those things were covered in scripture. Um, those things were right there. It was in the fine print, but I didn't 
know how to apply it. I didn't know how to read it. And I just didn't really take the time because I was busy trying to figure things out on my own. So I have found that it is all too common for professing believers to pave their own paths of Christianity and faith. The fine print of God's word is ignored and we tread on dangerous territory of veering into false doctrine, spiritual division and drama. Now, a quick note on that. Pay attention to all the thousands of denominations that have been birthed throughout the centuries. Those were definitely results of spiritual division and and all sorts of other things. So um, those things and a boatload of other errors happen when we are hard pressed on creating our own faith. This isn't Build-A-Bear Faith Edition. We have to learn what this thing is all about, and we have to become aware of God's conditions and desire for his people. Only then, when we begin coming into authentic alignment, will we begin walking in freedom. And if you haven't come into authentic alignment and you believe that you're walking in freedom, you are only deceiving yourselves. So today we are going to talk about understanding who God is. I am completely unworthy to do this. I struggled with doing this episode. So while I while it was a challenge for me to actually get to the recording of this episode, I've been really racking my brain with this particular part of the series for about a month now. And while I could credit a lot of that to um, me not having a lot of time to do a lot of study or do as deep a study as I would have wanted to, I'm realizing now too that as a mere mortal, as a human being, it is so difficult to talk about God. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why God is so massive. He's so grand and there are no words that can really sum him up. So no one can scratch the surface of who God Almighty is. Our finite minds could not grasp the full scope of who he is. While I'm going to be referencing a few summary pieces written by Bible scholars and teachers on the nature and attributes of God, our first and foremost reference for understanding who God is, is the Bible. You won't be able to grow in your walk with the Lord if you don't know his word. How many of us are guilty of spending little to no time in the word? Let's just be honest with ourselves. If that is you, let me ask you this. How are you growing? How are you measuring your walk? Do you really believe that you know the heart of the father and his desire for you? What are your struggles with spending time in the word? And I'm glad to open this up for discussion. If you all would like to email me those struggles, I'll be glad to read them and try addressing them in a future episode. And of course, I like to base my responses off of the word of God. As a human, I can be wrong. I can err. I can be incorrect. But the word of God is truth. It's infallible. It's never changing. So we use that as our anchor and our foundation for everything else. So again, if you'd like to email me those struggles that you may have with getting into the word of God, send those responses to she's marked podcast at gmail.com. And I will be glad to look them over and uh, respond to you and then cover it publicly, of course, with regard to who the the sender is, you will be kept anonymous, but I will talk about the struggles and in different ways to potentially address those struggles with getting more into the word of God. So getting back to um, 
the necessity for us to get into the word of God and understand it. Think of it this way. How challenging would it be to marry someone and never learn anything about them or never spend time with them? How strong do you suppose that marriage would be? How long do you think it would last? And the same is true with our relationship with the Lord. We have to spend time and we have to know who God is. And the only way that we can do that is by getting into the word of God, because he lays everything out for us in scripture. Um, So that is our solid basis and it's a foundation. So once we know who God, the father, our father is, then we position ourselves to begin understanding things like one the load we're intended to carry versus the load he's intended to carry, and two, our true identity as daughters. So before we get into this list, I have a few other things that I want to preface it with, and um, these are all things that I think are going to be important in uh, getting our minds ready for what we're going to be talking about today. So the understanding of God is not something that can be discerned, meaning perceived, recognized, noticed, or distinguished by flesh. Okay, it's not something that can be understood or discerned by flesh. John 4, 24 says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I like this. uh, I found a quote by Bible teacher John Piper, and it talks a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit and really understanding um, what this work is. So the work of the spirit is not to tell us, and I'm quoting this, the work of the spirit is not to tell us what the manual of operation means. And that manual of operation is the word of God, the fine print. So the work of the spirit is not to tell us what the manual of operation means that we must determine by a disciplined study of the text. The Spirit inspired these writings, and He does not short-circuit them by whispering in our ear what they mean. When we pray for His help, we do not pray that He will spare us the hard work of rigorous reading and reflection. What we pray is that He would make us humble enough to welcome the truth. The work of the Spirit in helping us to grasp the meaning of Christ's manual of operation is not to make study unnecessary, but to make us radically open to receive what our study turns up instead of twisting the text to justify our unwillingness to accept it. So it's going to be vital to understand that understanding God is something that's going to happen by the Spirit. I'm flipping through some notes here. I have another verse of scripture on the spiritual and understanding in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The unspiritual man does not receive or welcome the gifts of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Folly meaning foolishness, silliness, ridiculousness. So for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So while I'm going to be covering a list today on some of the attributes of God and the nature of God, these things are going to be deeply discerned, deeply understood, deeply distinguished and detected spiritually. So pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to understand who God is and that your spiritual eyes and ears would be open. And ladies, if you have faith and you continue to pray this with all of your heart and you're willing to persist in prayer and you're willing to continue searching, you will find. There's a verse of scripture that says, uh, basically, when you seek God with all of your heart, you will find him. So a lot of times... 
it is difficult for us to understand who God is, or it's a it's difficult for us to grow in our walk um, because something in us is not seeking with all of our hearts. Maybe we feel that if we've sought God, even in prayer for what we define as a long time, we give up, we wax thin, we throw the towel in. Um, but a part of what we do is we have to persist. I think earlier in this episode, I said, nevertheless, she persisted and I was referencing myself, but that is a true principle in life. Nevertheless, she persisted and, and in our walk, you have to persist. And when you persist, you begin to get answers. So before we get into this, here are two of the many things that I try to keep in mind when I'm thinking of God. Number one, God does not work how we work because all we know is the here and now. All we know is, um, for the most part, for, for those of us who are who might not be as spiritually inclined, we focus on the here and now. And it can be very difficult to view God outside of those bounds. Um, but it's important to recognize that God does not work how we work. He has no limitations or obstacles. He will perfect that which concerns you. And that's taken right from scripture. Also taken from scripture is that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So he far surpasses anything that we could even fathom or think of. He works everything out for the good of those who love him and are called to his purpose. So for every person of God outlined in the Bible, when you begin to get into scripture and you begin to study those people uh, who were in the Bible, whose stories are outlined in the Bible, even the most anointed and holy, they did not divert danger or harm all the time, every time. They found themselves in lion's dens. They found themselves in fiery furnaces. They found themselves in prison, whipped and beaten, betrayed and exiled. Sometimes we find ourselves sore or even resentful toward God because we're stunned that we even went through what we did. Had we had any control over the outcome ourselves, we would have prevented the situation altogether. But again, we have to remember that God does not work how we work and he turns everything around for the good of those who love him. So try to keep that in mind. Um, even if you find yourself in a place of deep pain, uh, it does not erase the pain. It does not erase the circumstances around the pain. But hold on to the faith and the trust that you have a good, good father who can take the mess that the enemy presents and turn it right around and flip it for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Number two, the other thing that I try to keep in mind is that God is a rewarder. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, ladies, weren't we just talking about being persistent, about being diligent? This is in Hebrews eleven six. It's in the fine print. It's right there. God is a rewarder. We are required to have faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. And we must, one, believe that he is. And two, we must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So keep pressing and keep seeking him. 
Okay. So I know I went on and on, but sometimes it is so, not sometimes, all the time it's so important to lay foundation so that things come together and make sense. So we're going to go a little bit longer today and that's all right. We are talking about understanding who God is. So there's a lot to cover. So the list that I'm about to reference comes from a summary on the nature of God written by Charles T. Bunton. I highly recommend this article. It had me in knots and in total wonder about God. The link is in the show notes and I will be touching on a little from each point. There are seven points total that Charles T. Bunton outlines. I also included in the show notes some other links for other studies that I've referenced and researched for the purpose of today's podcast. These are also from other Bible teachers and scholars um, that I personally value and that I have personally learned a lot from in my journey and in my walk. So let's get right to it. I'm going to grab this article. Again, it's entitled The Nature of God, and it is by Charles T. Button. So the biggest recap from this article is that we have to come into alignment. We want God our way. And when he doesn't fit into our mold, we find ourselves hurt or resentful. Charles tells a story from the 1970s of a pastor and deacon who met to discuss some things. The uh, pastor was pastoring this church, and I'm assuming that the deacon must have approached him because he had some issues on some of the messages that the pastor was preaching. So the deacon essentially was not happy with the way that the pastor had been preaching about God in particular. What the deacon was most opposed to was that God was absolute and that his plans cannot be thwarted. He was stuck on the notion of God being fair, and he expressed blatantly that he always thought of God as a gentleman, the kind of fellow that presents his case to you and lets you work things out. And I'm quoting that. So the pastor's response was this. Where do you find that, Smitty? God never claims to be fair, only just. Fairness is a human standard that changes as often as our perceptions change. God is not and cannot be judged by any standard manufactured by men. I'm going to read some more of this because this is critical. And what I love about this part I'm about to read is that it is taken directly from scripture. So these are some points that I want to highlight. And um, Charles T. Button asks in this summary, he says, what kind of God do you worship? Are you like Smitty in our story? Are you like Israel in the passage in Psalms? Do you think God is like you? Do you think of God as an errand boy, a cosmic, doddering, doting old grandpa, a gentleman who wouldn't hurt a flea? Does your God dismiss sin? Is your God at the mercy of man or nature? Is your God too small? Is he itsy bitsy, teensy weensy? Or do you worship the God of the Bible? Is your God the God of Joseph who turns the evil intent of wicked men to his own use in Genesis fifty twenty? Do you worship the God of Job, whose greatness caused that patriarch to abhor himself and be silent? Job 42, 1 through 6. Do you fall down in worship of the holy, holy, holy God of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 1 through 5? Do you realize that your life is ruled by the sovereign ruler and omniscient God of Daniel? And he referenced Daniel 2, 20 through 23, Daniel 27 through 28. 
excuse me, Daniel 2, 20 through 23 and 27 through 28. And Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 35. Do you trust in the God of the Psalms who does as he pleases? Psalms 115.3 and Psalms 135 verse 6. Do you pray to the God of Abraham who calls those things that are not as though they were? Romans 4.17. Have you met the God of Paul who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? 1 Timothy 6.14 through 16. I absolutely loved that list. Um, or excuse me, that breakdown. So let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to cover seven attributes. The first one is that God is sovereign, meaning God is the boss, period. God is subject to no one. No one can tell God what to do or judge his actions. I really, this part really stood out to me in the summary. Charles T. Bunton says, a knife, a bullet, poison, a fever, or at last time unseated every sovereign that ever lived, except the eternal sovereign who lives forever. Omnipotence, which we'll look at a few pages later, talks about God's power and ability, but sovereignty expresses his authority by right. God's rulership is universal. It is not confined by time or place. His sovereignty rules the affairs of nations. Okay, so God is sovereign. Number two, God is holy. Holy is a Bible term that means set apart. God is separate from all other things and is 100% pure in everything. He is set apart because of who he is. His very nature and attributes set him apart as unique from all else. And holiness is, in a sense, his central attribute. Number three, God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. There is no limit to his might. Divine sovereignty expresses God's right to do whatever he pleases. Omnipotence expresses his ability. Number four, God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything. Again, uh, and Charles says, our little minds have difficulty even fathoming the breadth and depth of that statement. God knows things that we cannot even conceive. He knows our thoughts, our sins, our innermost desires, according to Hebrews 4.13. And he knows our destiny, okay? God is immutable. It is with a, and I'm reading this, it is with a, excuse me, it is a constant with life. Things change, people change. A man leaves the woman who has been his companion for many years. People change, he says. An executive who has worked faithfully for a company for 20 years is let go for no apparent reason. Times have changed, said the person who fires her. Fashion changes, music changes, everything and everyone changes except God. God does not change. He may differentiate his manifestations differently to men, and he may reveal mysteries that were previously concealed, but God does not change. And I have personally found that to be a great comfort because um, a lot of some of the pain that I experienced was due to things changing. I remember at one point in my life, change was very, very hard for me, especially when you've gotten used to something being a certain way. And maybe that certain way brought you more comfort or it brought you more peace or stability in your lives. And then it's like, oh, it has to change. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And isn't that a great encouragement? It's a great, great comfort. Let's see. There was also another piece of that I wanted to add. This also applies to the son of man. 
the God man, Jesus Christ, and to the spirit as well. But what about Christ becoming a man? Is this not a change? Not in the way that God defines change and his definition is the only one that counts. He did not change in his essence, only in the way he manifested himself to mankind. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, the next one, God is wrathful. Now, this one really shook me uh, to pieces because a lot of times we don't cover this in a lot of Western Christianity does not cover this aspect of God. So that brings us into that wrongful place of believing that God is is all about the loves and all about the warm feelings. And, you know, God, he turns a blind eye to certain things, but we need to really understand who God is. And attribute number six is that God is wrathful. I'm going to say that again. God is wrathful. This was a solid, and I'm, I'm reading, um, this was a solid, or this is a solemn topic for discussion, but one which we cannot avoid. The idea of an all-powerful being who gets mad is scary. We know that we are fallible. We know that we do things that are contrary to righteousness. The notion that we may have to answer for those faults and worse, for specific sins, to a God who possesses wrath is the stuff of which nightmares are made. There are a number of scriptures that the author provides on the wrath of God. Uh, some of those scriptures are Psalms 95, 11. He affirms, I swear in my wrath, Colossians 2, 9. Uh, let's see, I'm just trying to pull some of the scriptures so you all can do your own independent study. Deuteronomy 1, 34, God is pronouncing some judgments. Genesis twenty two sixteen. So those are just some scriptures for you all to reference in your personal study. So I'm going to go back to reading here. The people who populate modern Western civilization hate the concept of a God who possesses wrath. All people want to know about God, if indeed they want to know anything at all, is about his love. Men create in their minds the concept of a God who is all love and nothing else. They make an idol in their heads. The Bible, however, is an absolute. It's absolute about the fact that God is a God of wrath. God's wrath is the reason for the necessity of the gospel, Romans 1, 16 through 8. Atonement and salvation by grace are required because of God's righteous wrath against sin. For the believer, deliverance from wrath is our great hope, and God's wrath is turned aside for believers by the blood of Christ. Um, you can check out Romans 3, 25 to 26, and Romans 5, verses 8 through 9. God's wrath against sin and sinners is so great that he sent his son to die in the place of those that were to be redeemed. No lesser sacrifice would do. If we deny wrath, we essentially deny the gospel. Attribute number seven, God is love. Having just written that God is a God of wrath, we turn to the other side of the coin and speak of his love. For many, it's contradictory to speak of God being wrathful and yet being a God of love, but the Bible is full of both concepts about him. And here is a quote from A.W. Pink that says, there are many today who talk about the love of God who are total strangers to the love of God. The divine love is commonly regarded as a species of amiable weakness, a sort of good-natured indulgence. It is reduced to a mere sickly sentiment patterned after human emotion. 
Now, the truth is that on this, as on everything else, our thoughts need to be formed and regulated by what is revealed thereon in Holy Scripture. Okay, so the love of God is really more than just an attribute. It's a part of his essence. God loves everyone and everything he has created. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the word for world in Greek is cosmos, which in a general sense refers to the whole universe. We do not deserve the love of God. It is unmerited and uninfluenced. We cannot earn it. God exercises the expression of his love according to his sovereign will, not according to our actions. For as members of a rebel race, we really deserve nothing. Okay. The love of God is eternal, like his immutability. It never wavers, changes, or dies. The supreme act of God's great love was in sending his own son to die in the place of condemned sinners. We cannot imagine the horror of Christ, the son of God, and God the son as he faced the cross. Not the physical suffering so much as the fact that he, the perfect, holy, unblemished son of God, would take the guilt of our sins upon his own shoulders and face the wrath of his own father. Such love is unspeakable. Given this great sacrifice, this great love, this great condescension, nothing can separate a redeemed person from the love of God. What a promise. And that is the last attribute. I do want to conclude this um, with a summary, and I'm going to read this exactly from Charles T. Bunton. And it says, this is the absolute God of the Bible. He does as he pleases. He accomplishes what he sets out to do. No plan of his is thwarted by the whims and decisions of mankind. He is wrathful against our rebellion, yet loving beyond our imagination. In one of the most concise and profound statements ever written on the subject of the absolute God, A.W. Pink said, The God, lowercase g, the God of this 20th century, no more resembles the supreme sovereign of holy writ than does the dim flickering of a candle, the glory of the midday sun. The God who is now talked about in the average pulpit spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school, mentioned in much of the religious literature of the day, and preached in most of the so-called Bible conferences, is the figment of human imagination, an invention of maudlin, I hope I'm saying that right, but an invention of maudlin sentimentality. The heathen outside of the pale of Christendom formed gods, lowercase g, gods out of wood and stone, while the millions of heathen inside Christendom manufacture a god out of their own carnal mind. In reality, they are but atheists, for there is no other possible alternative between an absolutely supreme god and no god at all. A god whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, possess no title to deity, and so far from being a fit of object of worship, merits naught but contempt. I know the language on that was a little, um, I don't think it's necessarily Elizabethan, but you'll have to probably rewind that and listen to it again. Uh, for me, the the sobering reminder is that we have to be careful and remember not to develop an idol of God in our minds, something that is manufactured by our figments of imagination. We have to get to know the absolute God of the Bible. And once we begin to understand God, 
then that will begin opening up the door for our freedom and for our healing. Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in today. I know we went a little bit long, but I'm hoping that you all were able to gather some solid information from today. Please feel free to take your time, digest, listen again, and process and ask the Holy Spirit what it is that he wants you to take away from this episode. Until next time, God bless. That's it for today, but the journey continues. Visit she'smarked.com for more episodes and to check out the Marked Life blog. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, tell a friend, and share. Remember, the word tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. As you go through this week, remember to walk as children of light.